Uh, okay, I'm recording. Hello, Jason, are you there? Hey, Kai, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Uh, we're we're recording. You're in the closet right now, and you're recording audio. Yep, and your your mattress is right behind you. So. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kai. This is New Normal, and that other voice you hear, that's Crimson Editor Jason Lamb. He's helping me tell the story we've been working on this week. Uh, so you and I both took Act 10, and we overlapped for a semester. Yeah, which means between the two of us, we've seen three iterations of the same introductory economics class. Right. So for context, this is a huge two-semester intro class. It consistently ranks in the top most enrolled classes, and there were over 400 students taking it with me at the time. Imagine just a huge mass of students shuffling into Sanders Theater about every week for lectures. I took the second half of the class, macroeconomics, in the spring of 2019. That semester was unique because it was the last time Professor Greg Mankiw would be teaching Act 10. After 14 years of teaching the class, it was the last time he'd lecture to us as the head of the teaching staff, and it was the last time he'd hand out those Superman Act 10 shirts. So when I took Act 10 in the fall of 2019, it was the first semester without Professor Mankiw. And the Act 10 version 2 was completely different from the class that Kai took. The format was different, the assignments were different, and a lot of the expectations were different. And then the following semester, the class experienced another huge change. I was actually about to take the midterm for the class when we got the news that Harvard was sending everyone home because of COVID-19. Last spring was a devastating experience, especially being a faculty dean. That's Professor David Lapson. He's co-faculty dean of Lowell House and along with Professor Jason Furman, took over Act 10 after Mankiw. The situation with the pandemic seemed to be getting worse by the day, but for Lapson on a personal level. My teaching was a bright spot in that dark landscape. And Act10B ended up being a very stimulating and exciting experience in the spring because Act10B is macroeconomics. And we were in the midst of a historically important recession. When the class switched to a remote format, the content also changed. Lapson says a big priority at that point was teaching us what was going on in the world economy. And we did it by essentially tearing up the old syllabus and creating a new syllabus that was tied to the crisis we were in. That transition to remote learning was chaotic for everyone, but everyone experienced it differently. If you were a student on campus at the time, there was the immediate challenge of uprooting your life at a moment's notice. For faculty members, there was a challenge of adapting in-person classes to the virtual format. Act 10 saw three consecutive semesters of change, but the pandemic has forced every class to change. We talked to a lot of instructors for this episode, and many of them spent a significant amount of time planning Zoom curriculums. So the pandemic has posed new challenges to educators, and it's accelerated the process of change at Harvard. But Harvard's an institution with almost 400 years of history. So Harvard has an evolving philosophy of our mission. And I would say that a few generations ago, there was not much emphasis placed on teaching. But over that last 50-year period, Harvard has become more and more focused on its role as a college with teaching as one of its core missions. You'll hear from Labson more later, but as another professor put it, Harvard as an institution is notoriously slow to change. So what happens when a global pandemic disrupts literally everything about modern life? What happens when instructors are forced to tear up the syllabi and reinvent their classes all in less than a year? We'll have more on teaching in the pandemic in this episode of New Normal.
So my name is Catherine Merseth, and I teach in the general education program. The course that I teach is called Equity and Excellence in K-12 American Education. Merseth has been running the class for about 10 years. But before teaching at Harvard, she started as a high school math teacher. She was fresh out of Cornell with a degree in theoretical mathematics. And when confronted with the existential question of, what's next? She was choosing between a PhD in math or a secondary teaching program at Harvard. She chose teaching, primarily because she's a social person. And I just could not imagine being in an office. You know, I had this vision of being in a concrete windowless office, working on a math problem, proof that nobody cares about, nobody understands. I mean, when I used to go home at, you know, at night in my college, my, my roommates would say, hey, what, you know, what'd you do today? And I say, well, I really can't explain it. You know, it's, it's not something, it's not really shareable. It's not, <laughs> and I don't mean it because I don't want to. It's just kind of like, it's not <laughs> worth it. So anyway. So, so she got a doctorate at the Harvard Graduate School of Education in 1982. She joined the faculty, and that brings us to the present. And for Merseth, teaching in the pandemic has been hard. Uh, let's see, the words that come to mind are struggle. I mean, I climbed on the M1 struggle bus and uh, realized I am of a generation that this is all very, very new. And so I felt more acutely than I've ever felt before, a generation gap. The Zoom environment robbed me of probably my most powerful skill, which is relating to students and reacting to what they are thinking, learning, and doing. The in-person version of Merseth's class was highly interactive. Field trips to local schools, in-class contests, etc. But when you have to move your 150-person class to Zoom, there's just some things you lose. The way I teach is by connecting to students. And first and foremost, being able to look in your eyes or being able to look out at a classroom and watch small group discussions. And, you know, as, as you learn over the years, you look out and you see a group of five students and they're all staring at the floor. Well, that tells you something. That says something's not going well in this group. And, you know, I need to be able to intervene or, you know, ask a new question. And I found that just nearly impossible uh, in the Zoom environment. To Merseth, there's a social aspect of teaching. Education is not just the delivery of information. And that sentiment was echoed by a lot of the instructors we talked to. And I always used to have a joke, which was, you know, professors who lecture from their old, you know, yellowed pieces of paper, you know, the information, the, the professor takes the information on his old notes and delivers it to the students who put it into their notes, and it passes through the mind of neither. When it comes to teaching in the pandemic, some of the things you miss out on are intangible. As Merseth told me, it could be as simple as the chemistry that builds between students when you just sit in the same area of the classroom every week. And there's also the extremely tangible challenges regarding the actual logistics of how a class runs. So what, besides the obvious new technology, is different about classes now? It turns out, while people don't want to interact socially online, they're very happy to interact academically online. That's Leibson again, who you heard from at the top of the episode. There's over 500 people in Act 10 this semester, and Leibson, Furman, and the teaching staff have done a lot to adapt to remote learning. 
the class is still anchored around weekly lectures, but... During the big lecture, we have Q&A in real time. Then after class, Lapson and Furman... Do two breakout rooms. So anyone who wants to talk about what they just heard has an opportunity to come and continue the conversation. On top of that, there's still the Zoom version of walk-in and appointment-based office hours. And of course, I haven't even mentioned the teaching fellows in the course who do all of this as well. There's also still the unit review program run by a whole other team of student tutors. When you add up all these different formats for interaction, there's a lot of both big group and more importantly, small group conversations taking place around our curriculum. And I clearly feel that there is an appetite you know, for more. So I think, I think people are actually finding these interactions to be appealing and as evidenced by the fact that people do come and that they do stay. So from the faculty perspective, my feeling is that the online learning environment, while disappointing, is, is working. I'll qualify that by saying it depends on the class and the subject. I've talked to students who are totally fine with the online format, and I think it makes sense that some classes just work. But I've also talked to students who just really aren't fans of Zoom University, even with the changes. And I get that too. I think a lot of students could relate to the experience of being sent to a breakout room where everyone has just checked out. Zoom fatigue is absolutely real. When we talked to instructors, many of them said that they'll probably keep using some of the techniques they've learned this semester once classes are in person again. But beyond the little things, like virtual guest lecturers, there's potential that the pandemic will permanently change some things at Harvard. Here's Merseth again. This has been a major disruption. And if we're courageous, and if we're um, forward-looking, we should say this is an opportunity to rethink how we deliver education. The idea of lasting change kept coming up. And to Merseth, the current disruption that we're experiencing is a chance to redefine what it means to be a registered student. The expectations, the work, the support. But of course, changing the way things are done at a school as old as Harvard isn't easy. How nimble is the Harvard administration in rethinking what they do? You know, we got 300 and X number of years doing the same old, same old. It's comfortable, it's predictable. Will the administration press uh, people to teach differently? One of the lecturers I talked to was Logan McCarty. I'm director of science education uh, in the faculty in um, physics and in chemistry. And he played a big part in facilitating the transition to virtual learning for science courses. He's both an instructor and an administrator, so he's in the unique position of experiencing the university's transformation from two slightly different perspectives. Uh, yeah, so we had a faculty committee that met, um, I think mostly like around the beginning of the summer. Um, and Rochelle Godet, who's in molecular and cellular biology, and I were co-chairs of that committee. The committee wrote up a 22-page report with a bunch of recommendations for deans, department chairs, and faculty. And it was informed by instructors' anecdotal experiences, focus groups, and a bunch of survey data collected by the college. Imagine nine or so faculty members on Zoom, you know, in our little Hollywood squares. The recommendations are things like incorporate small group work, be more flexible with deadlines, consider time zone differences, and more. Like Leibson, McCarty thinks the virtual classes have gone better than expected, 
and he's already imagining how his classes might be different when people return to campus. I'd like to try to find a way for the in-person interaction to be more valuable. Because if I'm seeing students three times a week, and a significant part of that is me, you know, talking and writing out organic chemistry formulas and explaining things, that piece of the class time, that can be done just as effectively online, I think. And it's the interactive stuff that I that would be nice to have more focused on the in-person interaction. So I could imagine a scenario where maybe we only meet once a week in person and a lot of the other time is done virtually. But that time that we meet in person, we are really fully engaged and everyone is interacting and participating. McCarty sees a way in which an organic chemistry class might be different, but he's skeptical of Harvard's ability to change as an institution. When we were talking, I asked about Harvard's centuries of history, its slow-moving parts, the reluctance to change that Merseth mentioned. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with that 100%. So, um, you know, by and large, I have been, I've been really impressed with how much the administrative side of Harvard, how they have been unexpectedly <laughs> nimble in response to this truly unprecedented situation for an organization like this. And yes, it's true. Harvard is notorious for having very um, staid, rigid rules and administrators who are not flexible. And um, I think to a large extent, that's pretty true. To McCarty, a big part of this rigidity is the fact that Harvard is mostly unchallenged in, quote, the higher education hierarchy. Only a challenge in status, education quality, research, etc. will prompt meaningful change. And while this pandemic has been a global catastrophe, he thinks that things will truly revert back to business as usual when it's all over. I think this, you know, the online learning thing is just going to continue to grow, right? And Harvard will have to wrestle with the fact that in the future, there will be far, far more students who get their college education through some sort of mostly online, you know, University of Phoenix um, slash Minerva slash whatever kind of environment than will do a traditional residential four-year college education. And I think strategically Harvard has to decide, you know, do they want to be the leaders of this, what could become a very narrow niche field of you know, 18 to 22 year old residential higher education for a sort of socio-economically elite group? Or do they really want to be the leaders in higher education at large? And if they want to be the latter, I think it'll have to be a much more aggressive, forward-looking uh, vision for the future. From the Harvard Crimson, New Normal is a podcast about students in the pandemic. It's produced and edited by me, Kai McNamee. This episode was written by me and Jason Lamb. The university did not respond to a request for comment on this episode.